on this very colorful Jersey Sunday. How many of you are wearing uh, a personal jersey of yours? I've been waiting years for this. <laughs> but uh, welcome. Welcome to, uh, to church. And uh, God is good. All the time. And all the time. And it's because of that good God that we are here. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, we're continuing on our sermon through Revelation today. Last week we talked about Ephesus. Uh, which I'm going to be referencing uh, quite a bit at the beginning here because it helps give us a frame of reference as we move forward through the book. Today we're looking at uh, the city of Smyrna, the letter to the Smyrnans. Um, it's found in Revelation 2, uh, 8 to 11. Well, we'll get there shortly. But a little bit of background about this city. Um, for one, we actually don't know much outside um, of the Bible about this city other than the four verses we have in front of us. But geographically and historically, we know a fair bit. Geographically, this was a harbor city. Found in a natural cove, so shipment, trade, commerce was a huge part of this city's life and the ecosystem of Smyrna. Adding to that, there was a huge, massive Roman road that led from Ephesus about 35, 40 miles all the way up to Smyrna. And like many of us here, we are representing jerseys of athletes that we like, there's also people that Smyrna liked. The philosopher Homer had a shrine in Smyrna. He most likely lived there. And like we feel a sense of pride when an athlete's from our hometown, the people of Smyrna felt a sense of pride to Homer and this pride and knowledge that one of their own made it so big and so far. And likewise in this city, uh, it was known for temples. Now Ephesus, we know from the Bible, had a beautiful, huge temple to the goddess Diana or Artemis. But Smyrna had a bunch of smaller temples, but lots of them. It was pervasive throughout the entire city. Temples to both Greek and Roman gods. And something new started creeping up shortly before the writing of this letter. And it was temples not just to Greek and Roman gods, but to former emperors, former Caesars that lived. And that was just a short step closer to when they founded the first temple to the current living emperor. You can imagine what kind of trouble this would have caused for the early Christian church in this city of Smyrna. But now, in the Bible, what we find from the city is actually something that Dan talked about last week, and this is in uh, Acts 19.10, that uh, Ephesus was a church-planting city. But it says in Acts 19.10 that the, all, the whole province of Asia heard the word of God, um, and the word of God went out throughout the whole land, Smyrna included. So there's a good chance that Smyrna was actually planted from somebody who heard Paul preach in Ephesus and traveled the 35-40 miles to plant the church, making Smyrna the sister church to Ephesus, much like our sister church in uh, Okotoks and our soon-to-be sister church Chapel House. Woo! <laughs> oh, there's more of you coming, great. <laughs> they added to our numbers daily. But just like they had a sister church and a parent church, there was this kind of bond that they shared, a sense of pride knowing that, yeah, that's, we belong to them. They're, we're something similar. We started from the same uh, leader. But as Smyrna would have started on a typical Sunday, this was a Sunday unlike any other Sunday. They 
were meeting in church, they sung some hymns, they broke the bread, they had some wine, celebrated the Lord's communion, celebrated why they are there as a church. And then a messenger stands up. A messenger with a large scroll in his hands and he says, I have a letter for you guys from your brother John. <clears throat> and this brother John um, writes this long letter and the messenger gets up and he cracks open this scroll and he begins to read. And begins to share about how he was in exile. He's on the island of Patmos and he's in tribulation himself. He's a fellow bondservant amidst this tribulation. And as he's worshiping on the Lord's day, he has this vision and he hears this voice. And as he describes the vision of this voice, he's describing what he sees using Old Testament Daniel-like language to describe the person of Jesus in all of his glory. And as he's describing the person of Jesus partway down in the letter, he says, and write to the seven churches, Smyrna being one of them. As he gets to the churches, he doesn't start with Smyrna, but he starts with Ephesus, and this is what we heard last week. And a smile crosses the people in Smyrna, a smile crosses their face, they hear about their parent church, Ephesus, and they're wondering, how are they doing? And it sounds like they're doing pretty well off the start. They're patiently enduring. They're hating the work of the Nicolaitans that Jesus also hates. And they're also challenging those who are apostles and are false. And a sense of pride comes up and sort of saying, yeah, that's our parent church. Sounds like them. But then their heart begins to sink and the smile fades as they hear that as of late this parent church has missed the mark. They've missed the mark on what it means to be a church. They have lost their first love. Now, whether that's first love of God or first love of people, we don't know. But either way, they are in grave danger of losing their lampstand. They're in grave danger of losing their divine, um, God-given authority of being a church. And as the questions begin to swarm their heads and the sadness begins to fill the Smyrna's hearts, the messenger keeps going through Revelation 2, 8 through 11. Stand with me as we read what they've heard. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, The words of the first and the last, who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested. For ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. This is the word of God. You may be seated. So two things significant about this letter specifically. One, it's the shortest letter to all the churches. More of a postcard to Smyrna than anything. But more importantly is that this letter doesn't have any type of rebuke or condemnation or correction, just warning. Now that doesn't make Smyrna specific to itself, because Philadelphia likewise also has no correction and no rebuke. But I love that it's in here, because it's God saying, I have healthy, spiritually rich churches out there. It's not just one. And there's an unfortunate, mind, unfortunate mindset that pastors and churches have, especially in the West here, 
that we can tend to think it's only us who have it right. Within these four walls, us pioneers are the only ones who preach the gospel, we're the only ones who handle the word of God appropriately. And that's just not the case. I was part of a church a long time ago where the pastor said this a number of times from the pulpit, and I confronted him on it. I said, do you really think we're the only church that has it right in the whole city? And he said, no, I'm sure there's others. And I said, well, name one. What's one that you could recommend to someone? And after some humming and hawing, he couldn't give one. And this really rubbed me the wrong way because there has to be more than just the church I was a part of so long ago. And Kate and I were dating at the time, and we, uh, I asked, you know, would you want to come check out some other churches? We'll stay at our parent church, our, our house church here, for the 9 a.m., but for a Sunday evening or a Saturday night service or an 11 o'clock service, let's, try, let's check out another church. And so we did this for months. And between the two of us, we checked out 25 different Christian churches in the city of Calgary and surrounding area. Pioneers being one of them, hence why we're here. <laughs> and some of these churches in the city, some of these churches throughout our city that we are neighbors with, some of them are beautiful, spiritually rich, spiritually healthy churches that Katie and I left feeling completely fed. And some of them, unfortunately, as we went made a list together this last week, unfortunately, more often than not, to use Revelation language, some of these churches are in grave danger of losing their lampstand. They've forgotten the first love of Christ. But I love this letter to the Smyrna church, God saying, I have spiritually healthy, spiritually rich churches. It's not just you, Smyrna. As we're going to see in a couple weeks, he mentions Philadelphia as well. But as we get into this letter now, as we get into the letter to the Smyrnans, Jesus opens with a one-liner about himself, a characteristic that he wants to give to the church, and he does this to all of the letters. And it's a, a way of encouragement of what he's about to present throughout the letter. And this one specifically about himself, Jesus says the words, the first and the last who died and came to life. This is the description God gives of himself to this church. Because it's going to be extremely important for what he's about to say in the next couple sentences before he moves on. It's Jesus saying, what I'm about to tell you is going to be tough to hear. What I'm going to tell you may be hard and may be um, just difficult to work through, but know this, I, the one who died and came to life, am on the other side waiting for those who remain faithful to me. There's a look at verse 9. He begins to tell us what's going on in this church. We get, now we get the, the contextual uh, view of what's going on. And he says, I know your tribulation, present tense. Not that this church is going to go through tribulation in the future, but as you are going through persecution and tribulation currently, as we speak, you are going through this. It says you are going through poverty, or sorry, you're going through tribulation, and uh, I know your poverty. Now, we don't know how, but it seems to be that this poverty is somehow linked to the tribulation. But regardless of their circumstance, their physical, um, financial circumstance, God says, but I see you as rich. Even though you see yourself as, uh, as physically poor, I see you as spiritually rich. Unlike the church of the Laodiceans that we're going to see in a couple weeks, how they are physically wealthy, physically rich, physically financially independent, yet God says, you guys are spiritually bankrupt. But the spiritual wealth that Smyrna has begins with counting the cost of Christianity. It begins with going 
Is Jesus worth us submitting in every aspect of our life to what he has to offer? To making Jesus Lord over our entire life. Now remember I said at the beginning this was a city full of temples. And many of us know that the culture of that time, temple worship was pervasive in every aspect of life. Political, social, personal, family. Temple worship was everywhere. It was impossible to get away from. But yet the Smyrna church counted the cost of saying, you know what, it is worth following Jesus and it's worth the awkward social interactions the embarrassment, and maybe the harassment we're going to face and the slander that we're going to face for not associating with some of these temples. We're going to stay focused on Christ. For them, that was counting the cost. But counting the cost leads to conduct. It leads to how do we live now that we've counted the cost? It has to, having Jesus Lord of our life, has to now permeate every aspect of my life. Not just head knowledge, but heart knowledge. And Paul, when he's in prison, uh, Acts 24, 25, if you'll turn here. Uh, Acts 24, 25, Paul's in prison, and he's talking to the governor, Felix. This is a short verse, but we're going to flip somewhere else in a second. He gives his gospel in a nutshell. And he this is 24, 25. And as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment. Flip two chapters later to 26. 26, 20. Paul now, he's speaking not to the governor, but he's speaking to King Agrippa. And he says this, But declared first to those who were in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all of the region of Judea, and also uh, to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with repentance. For Paul, presenting the gospel wasn't just counting the cost of repentance and falling after Jesus. It had good deeds and righteousness and self-control that was a natural outcome of that counted cost. This was saying no to certain things, selfish ambitions, but also saying yes to righteousness and good deeds. These are the good fruit that we talk about, the Christianese word of bearing good fruit. This was one of those aspects of that. And the Smyrna church being declared spiritually rich had fruit to show it. And so despite their circumstances of being in a political or in a religious um, drought in the city of temples, they counted the cost and said, you know what, it's worth saying no to all that to keep our conduct firm in Christ, to abstain from these churches. Unfortunately, as we're going to read in these letters, not all churches did this. Some churches did waver in this and did succumb to um, idol worship in, their, in these temples. But the Smyrna church, upon counting the cost, upon these good deeds, was facing not just saying no to temples, they were facing slander. They were facing slander in verse 9 there. Um, and the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but they are a synagogue of Satan. Now, in all honesty, I was not going to mention this part of the verse because it's very revelation -y. It's very weird and mysterious and hard to understand. Uh, and if you're like me, when I was growing up, Revelation was just this book that was just, <laughs> just hard to understand. Anybody else? Anybody else still feel like that? Yeah, that's why Dan and I are taking our time going through this. Because it's hard to understand. It's hard to read. It's at the very back of the Bible, just before the mass, because it's in there, but it's just far enough away that we can just focus on the gospel, something easy to understand. 
And growing up, just this, this lens of revelation, you need a degree to figure it out, and just so don't worry about it. That's what I was wrestling through this week of like, no, this is in here for reasons to all the churches, not just to the churches in Asia, but to us as well. And so for me this last week, as I was reading this, telling myself, read this like you would the rest of the Gospels. Read this like you would read any other letter from Peter or Paul. And if we do that, when we do some looking around, we see that this idea of um, call, Jews calling Jews satanic or demonic is not unique to Revelation. It's something that actually shows up a couple times in the Bible. Uh, and it was a way of Jews to call out other Jews to say, you do not have your mind on the things of God, but on the things of this world. Turn to two places. I don't have to turn here. Uh, Mark 8.33. Jesus said to Peter, get behind me. Satan. Not that Satan was literally puppeteering Peter at the time, but that Peter did not have his mind on the things of God, he had his mind on his own things, on his own kingdom, on this world that is under the prince of the power of the air. Another famous passage, Matthew 12, 24. 